1: Welcome to The Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of The Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at sixsecondstories.com. Oh my gosh, you guys. What's up, all my compelling storytellers? Guess what? It is our 50th episode of the Storytelling Lab. Now, I have a question for you. Have you listened to all fifty of them, have you been with us since the beginning? Yo, this is so. Um, I don't know what the word is. I mean, like, just crazy to me because we we started this a, a while back and we were going to release every other week, and I had no idea when we launched the storytelling lab what it would what it would turn into. Um, I think we still have so much room that we can grow, but I'm just really proud of the work and the conversations. That we had this season, you know what? I'm gonna quote Jay Akunzo, who was a guest uh, this season on the Storytelling Lab. He was episode 44, if you haven't heard that one, and he is amazing. Um, but he says this line, even in the podcast, to me is, it's not about good. Or great, but it's about better. It's about becoming better. And that's what I'm most proud of with this podcast It's like each season has gotten better and better. I've gotten better at doing my job for you. The guests have gotten better. The production has gotten better. Shout out to Audrey and Chandler on the back end. Appreciate all your help. But like, it's getting better, and we're and I hope that that means, and I know it does because I get the responses and and the messages from people. But I hope that means that we are doing our jobs better and serving you and giving you great information and breaking down the art and science of storytelling so that you can use it in your strategies. So if you've been with us for one episode or all fifty, I just want to take a moment and say thank you, thank you for listening. I appreciate it so much. Send us your feedback subscribe, review, but more importantly share it with somebody that you think may benefit from this. We love creating this show. I've had some of the best conversations of marketing and storytelling and writing that I that I've ever had and it's because I do this for you, but then selfishly I get to benefit from it a little bit. So it's it's something that's been such a fulfilling like honestly it's kind of cliché but like it's been a blessing to me, but it's been such a fulfilling project to be a part of. So Shout out to you all, shout out to the team and everybody for helping make the Storytelling Lab possible. So today I have a special guest on who is also from eastern North Carolina like I am. Our guest today is Sherlette Ammons and she comes from a little town called Botankus. You don't have to be from North Carolina or even a rural area to know that a place called Botankus is out in the country. For sure. Now here's the funny thing. Charlotte and I have been kind of circling each other, like in terms of of the people that we, we you know, we know we, we're in the same circles. We we know a lot of the same people in the music industry here in, in Chapel Hill and, and now we both live in Durham. She works with a lot of my friends at Marquet Media, and I love the work that they are doing there. Marque Marque Media is headed up by Cynthia Hill, another Eastern North Carolinian who is creating great documentary projects, mostly about the South and food as as a part of the Southern culture, and I'm like, I'm I'm straight up envious of the work that they're doing. I love the work that they're doing, and I've followed Cynthia since uh, "Tobacco Money Feeds My Family," a documentary she made years and years ago, and so Sherlette has been in the music industry and we also found out that we had another uh another connection that we were unaware of. I thought it was her twin sister, but it happened to be her. So listen to the episode for that one. But Charlotte has been creating amazing music in the hip hop scene here in the triangle. I think her background is in poetry and spoken word, but all my I have friends in the hip-hop scene and that's how I found out about her just friends of mine that were musicians and in the music scene here in the triangle of North Carolina. Then she started working with Marquee Media. So I'm seeing her like, yeah, what she's like involved. This is how some people uh, see me. Cause I have a lot of different interests and in things I'm involved in. But uh, I, I would see all these cool projects that she was being a part of and was just out there killing it musically and now in the film world. And I was like, it, it really piqued my curiosity. So I've been wanting to talk to her for a while They started off like their big show was a show for PBS called A Chef's Life, and that followed the story of Vivian Howard, whom we talk about a lot in the episode today, and her restaurant in Kinston called Chef and the Farmer. But since then, they've had a couple of like, eh, I don't know if they're, yeah, they're spinoff projects. One of them's Vivian's, uh, and another really cool project called uh, The Hook that her and a friend of mine, Salim, did. So I was trying to get in touch with her and haven't been able to nail down a date until recently because they just came out with the first season of a, a new national show called Somewhere South. That also includes Vivian Howard as the host, where they explore different connections of of Southern, I'll say food culture in the South, not necessarily Southern food culture, although it has become that, from different cultural groups in the south so it's not always exactly what you think of as southern food but it's how it all ties in like all cultures have you know this type of food it just looks a little bit differently So a really interesting like look into you know culture through food which is such an interesting lens or perspective so finally after they premiered the series finale uh, she hit me back and she was like, hey, let's do this. And so uh, I was so excited to talk um, talk to her because, one, she's telling stories that haven't been told before about an area where I grew up, so I'm passionate about, but specifically about an area like in the South where people have preconceived notions about what it is and what it isn't. So I love that they are breaking down a lot of these myths through through narrative, through stories about food and culture and that's just so impressive to me and and she did not disappoint she continues to impress me and i was just thrilled to have her on the show so we chopped it up (laughs) pun intended about food culture the south music and all these things that we both love please enjoy my conversation with sherlet ammons Welcome to the show. I'm glad we could link up finally.
0: I know. I was trying to think about earlier today, like how we know each other. Like,
1: So it's it's interesting. First of all, we, we, we're like part of the whole, you know, big triangle family, Chapel Hill, Durham family. So I know that we, we've always known a lot of the same people, but this is the question because I think it was your sister. Did your sister used to live uh, in Bud Matthews old house on Mm -hmm. 15501? that, that was of, me that, that was you
0: yeah yo that, okay I thought it you was didn't your live in the other apartment
1: listen I f- I, I own that house now
0: <laughs> what so
1: <laughs> listen okay I thought it was your sister this whole time this is amazing so right before you left and, and if I was it was like 2005 or something yeah you know, yeah me and my friend Adam who's also a musician uh yeah we, we moved in and and honestly, I think we had like a month overlap. It was it wasn't very much because you and I didn't meet, but Adam and and you did. I think at that time, and you may know yep. him now from from just being in the scene. But I thought that was your sister this whole time. Um, no, so, no,
0: yeah, twin. My, I have a twin sister, and yes. she moved to Durham uh, probably four years ago. But that was me, and and uh, I had long hair back then. I, I do, I know,
1: because I saw I I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, so kind of like, that's where I first heard your name. This is a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I remained like my brother's a chef around town. Um, and all my friends are musicians. I never, uh, never was besides just little stuff at the house. But just being out like in the scene is kind of how I um, knew of you and the stuff that you were doing. I knew your music first. Then uh, separately, around that same time, 2005 and six, I got introduced to Cynthia's work when okay. like tobacco money fees, my family came out and all that sort of stuff. We had mm-hmm. mutual filmmaker friends cause I was starting to, to do documentaries and train uh, under documentary filmmakers at that time. That's where I heard about her. She was still with SDF at that point. Gotcha. And, and, um, when, you know, years later I live in Durham now too, but I, I still lived in that house for a long time. um, I, I, I don't know when I realized you were working with her, but then that's when my kind of like my radar, you know, tuned up again. It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. i put it together. Cause I didn't know that you were in the, um, in the, the, the film and television industry. When, when did that like yeah. happen for you?
0: Well, that I can't, I, I had been, um, writing like doing like uh, independent, contract uh, contracting work for Cynthia for a while, like, uh, writing study guides for documentaries and helping write grants and stuff. Mm. We met Cynthia and I met like uh, in at at Duplin Winery, like years ago. She was showing tobacco money, and I was reading poetry as a part of this event they they had.
1: I was gonna ask because we,
0: from- we had never met, and so uh, we actually had to go back home to meet because she's from Pink Hill and I'm right. from Botanakis or Mount Olive, which is nobody knows Botanakis except us, but. Um, where are you from in eastern North
1: Carolina? So I'm from Little Washington, so a little little okay. closer closer to Pink Hill than, than Botankis, but not far, right? And it's still the same vibe. And so that's what I, attracted me to her work. That's hilarious. And I, I have similar stories like that with friends that like, um, well, you know, uh, Salim and Ned and all those guys, yeah. right? Yeah. So we all lived here in Durham and we met randomly up at the Hip Hop Film Festival in Harlem when North CAC aired with there. The-
0: yeah. Cause
1: yeah. I, my film raise up had, had won the festival the year before. And so I was back up there just like doing a panel or something with them. And I met those guys and gee, I was, I was like, yeah, we live like a mile from each other. How is this? That's
0: the thing. It's, it's <laughs> awesome. And it's it is great. Awesome. It? Okay.
1: So that's, that's really cool. So you met her just organically back home. Cause that's one of the yeah. things I, I wanted to talk to you about was like, how awesome is that, that y'all are from like really close, you know, super small yeah. towns
0: yeah and actually, Pink Hill, where Cynthia's from, my, my my dad's people are from Alberson, which is a hop and a skip from Pink Hill. and um, yeah, it's really cool because uh, after you know after Cynthia and I met there, we were both really geeked about the fact that there were other people who live in the triangle and are part of the triangle the Triangle's creative community who care about Eastern North Carolina and care about and recognize that we have a really unique thing down there. We have a unique way of talking and, and, <laughs> and <our laughs> food traditions are unique. I can, I can tell when somebody's from Eastern North Carolina, when I, Damn right. talk, I can. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so yeah, we were just both really stoked about meeting some, somebody else who cared about Eastern North Carolina. And then uh, when a chef's life got underway between I came on between the second and third seasons, I believe. Um, Cynthia and Vivian and, and the team were having a kind of retreat in LaGrange at Brothers Farm, mm-hmm. and Cynthia invited me to come down and just check check everybody out and introduce myself. But not with the, the, the intention of becoming part of the team yet. I think we were kind of vetting each other a little bit, checking out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sniffing each other out a little bit. And, um, that's where I first met Vivian, and I was like, "Who is this little country chick?" and It just reminded me of every all everybody I went to high school with, and you know it's like it just the familiarity of her voice and the oh yeah, she's telling, it's just like immediately clicked, so
1: I love I that and on after that I'm so proud of what you all are doing, putting those voices and those accents on a national stage. Cause I feel the same exact way when I hear that, that, that little twinge of Eastern North Carolina, I'm like, what? And yeah, so, to, 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 Yeah, to see it on the screen just makes, it makes my heart happy. What, what like, so you grew up there and when did you move away? When did you come up to, to this area? Yeah, I,
0: came, I came to Raleigh for school, went to NC state, me and my mm, sister. I, and did then too. I, uh, I think I might be a little wiser than you, meaning older, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, and then just kind of bopped around the triangle and I, and I fell into this like scene in in the triangle, which was like this burgeoning hip hop spoken word mm-hmm. scene. And that's, you know, kind of how I started getting into uh, writing poetry and making music and wrote a couple collections of poetry and it, you know, pretty much everything I was writing had something to do with Eastern North Carolina, kind of harking back to those stories and those voices and um the language and and the wordplay and you know growing up country growing up in the church all that stuff started to mingle in within the realm of hip hop and within the realm of poetry and literature for me so
1: let me ask you this uh, <clears throat> what was it like i mean what do you what do you take from growing up there like what do you remember from it because I, first of all i want to give you like a lot of credit because you know people People that kind of, you know, I hate this expression, but make it out of that area, meaning like there's a lot of our friends. I don't even have to ask you if this is true for you that are like still stuck there in that same mindset. And they're beautiful people, but just like there's been like one narrative, you know, for their lives. and, And that's been kind of it. And so I'm always proud of people who like it's not most of the people that I know from Eastern North Carolina didn't like break into the hip hop industry and spoken word and like poetry and spoken word and, and, or filmmaking industries. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm always proud of that, that, that when that happens, but I'm even prouder when there's not this, you know, detachment from those roots and trying to like run from it and be something you're not. So I love that immediately about you that like, you never didn't embrace that. Right. So it's obvious to me that you still have a lot of passion about that area as do I. So like, what's your, what was your experience? What do you love about Eastern North Carolina? What stands out that makes you want to tell the rest of the world about
0: it? Right. Well, I I, I grew up in a house that, you know, um, my mom has uh, 12 brothers, had 12 brothers and sisters. So we all grew up in a house together, me my twin, a whole bunch of cousins, a whole bunch of aunts and uncles. And so I, you know, I grew up with like, just tons of people all the time so the only way to find any kind of respite from the fact that there were so many people was through your imagination so you know i i think that kind of you know introduced me to writing and drawing and just some kind of creative outlets but then you know i i feel like you probably can relate to this when you move away somehow those those stories just kind of start to crystallize and become clearer and uh they have a different meaning because you're not like so physically attached to them you're not as physically close to them so that you I feel like uh, when you move away or leave even if it's only a few miles away those stories start to to the wisdom of those stories and those ways of being start to kind of crystallize in your mind and you start to feel for folks who didn't have certain types of I call it make do wisdom like the type of stuff is not it, it don't translate necessarily to to financial wealth but this other non-tangible wealth that has, I, I, I feel inspired, it inspires everything that I do. I feel like it inspires my, my sister's work. She's a mm-hmm. farmer and farm advocate. And um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think that's the primary thing I took was like, you know, quite often the, the voices that are not exalted, quite often the voices that are in these really isolated places have, have something very, very unique to say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of feel, you know, an allegiance to that that's kinda like
1: our, our duty to to put those voices out there, yeah. Right
0: on. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what misconceptions are there about the South in general or like eastern North Carolina? Like what's what's something that you people might say that you would defend you, you know, where you come from?
0: Um, hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well I think the the stereotypes that we all hear about about the South, you know, like you know you got two teeth and one of them's in your pocket kind of vibes, <laughs> um, this whole like <laughs> uh, idea that you know we're not we're not smart and uh, you know kind of set in our ways and not willing to try new things or uh, that we're all uh, backwards in our politics and our belief systems, um, you know. Which you know, I, I disprove all those things just by showing showing up. I feel like
1: definitely was there. Were you already kind of headed towards film and television and writing? Like how how did that happen, or was it that you met Cynthia first and then it kind of evolved?
0: Yeah, I met I met Cynthia first, and I always like Full Frame. I always went to Full Frame, or uh, what was it before Full Frame? I can't remember the name of it. <sighs> the D but anyways I I always enjoyed going to films and 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 particularly like independent filmmaking and filmmaking that felt more like uh, risk-taking especially in the documentary realm Um, but never really thought or envisioned how like my creative work could translate into the film industry Mm -hmm. until I started uh, working with Cynthia and understanding that storytelling in and of itself is you know, genre-defying, if you tell a story in a song, or if you tell a story in a film, it's still storytelling. But I think the thing that um, becomes mutual is, you know, finding folks who who share stories in the same vein that you do. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the thing that attracted me to Cynthia's work. And because Tobacco Money Feeds My Family was like important to, to folks down East, I mean, cause we always deal with that dichotomy of like the okay. harm of tobacco versus the fact that folks were, it, it kept a lot of folks alive. So to like ask those hard questions and put those uh, things in a uh, kind of a non-monolithic perspective where you're looking at all angles of, uh, of a story and given the folks who are the most affected, the, the, the voice to tell their own story is pivotal. And um so we vibed on that on that aspect for sure.
1: Definitely. I mean, that's something that I've always been proud of her for, for doing and telling those those harder stories. And she kinda didn't she like basically make that film happen completely herself? Like if I remember the story, it wasn't it was just like her own like passion project, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I recall. I mean, that was a little bit before my time and when we yeah, met but- that film was already done, but but that's that's the story I I recall hearing too.
1: It's it's so um, exciting for me to see what, I mean, basically th- that film probably was like the seeds of conception, but then, um, you know, chef's life, I think is really what took it to the next level. But this, the work that you all have been able to do there is, is exciting because I don't feel like we've really heard those kinds of stories. And now it's given you all the opportunity to make, you know, other shows like somewhere South uh, like, like Ricky's was off the hook. Um, which is just super exciting. I mean, what's, what's, what's it been like for you to be a part of that team? Cause for me as, as a documentary filmmaker as well in Durham, mm-hmm. obviously I see what you all are doing and and, I, and a lot of my friends work there too. I'm friends with Victoria and, and Salim and Ned. And it's just like, I'm super proud of y'all. And, and wow. I, I, my hunch is that it's just gotta be a great place to work to tell those stories. It doesn't mean it's easy, but, but like that's gotta be super fulfilling.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, You know, each the the irony is, and I think this is the the thing that's really great to uh, kind of understand and learn over and over is that, you know, the South is not monolithic. We all bring these different angles and perspectives to the table, and so even from like you know, people look at a chef's life in somewhere South and see mad similarities. I look at it and see like crazy differences, just because you know, what we're doing with a, somewhere south is looking at these larger food stories through the lens of uh, immigrant and indigenous, indigenous communities that we don't al- always uh, acknowledge as Southern and, versus A Chef's Life, which was really much about Vivian's personal journey. Mm-hmm. And in essence was a black and white story, which is a story we always visit in the south because, you know, the south's still dirty and black and white still got, you know, it's not, re- race in the south is not resolved. Um, race in America is not resolved, but the South is like that uh, kind of heat map that kind of holds all that. Um, so when I look at, you know, and then even with The Hook, which uh, Celine co directed that with me, and mm-hmm. uh, we had a whole like it was a Marquee Media project, but we had a different kind of team working on that. Um, and, you know, with the, and Chef Ricky Moore mm-hmm. is from Eastern North Carolina as well. He's from, more, or he's more from down East. Let's, he's more right. from like the New Bern area, but, uh, he gave us an opportunity to merge, you know, the Eastern North kind of story with all of our love of hip hop and, mm-hmm. you know, pull in G Yamazawa and, and Fonte and like some of, uh, our favorite hip hop artists and try to create, you know, uh, something that didn't look at all like a chef's life. Didn't look at, look at all like somewhere South, but had this bop to it that kind of, mm-hmm. Uh, resonated with a different audience that not necess- that you know you don't necessarily think of watching a chef's life or somewhere south like you know the you know we wanted to appeal to like you know hip hop heads and definitely and the visuals you know, the like,
1: visuals also complemented that like the graphics were sick like it did yeah, have options. Yeah,
0: Teddy, boy Teddy, knocked those out.
1: It's sick. Uh, I remember seeing the first episode, just like oh, I mean, it was clear that you that you like I could see you and Salim in it, right? Yeah, um, right. So on. Yeah, I love that. That was that was a great show. Um, talk to me a little bit more about the multiculturalness of the South, because, like, I, I like that you all are exploring that in somewhere South. Because I think, like you kind of said, well, when I grew up, there was we we had a black community and white community. And there was a stark line in between, and there wasn't a lot of other cultures that we had like in Little Washington. But there are there there are, and it influences. Uh, lots of different part of the mainstream culture including the food but like have you what have you learned or what have you seen through making somewhere south about those other cultures that, that do exist in the south
0: right um well one thing I, I discovered is that like you know people are proud to be who they are and we quite often require people to be one thing or the other thing when in reality people are being all the things that they are all the time like when we uh looked at uh you know, uh, the Delta, the Delta Chinese community. Um, and they say directly they're Southern, they're, they're Chinese and, and they're Mississippian, they're all those things at once. And it shows up in the food. It's it's amazing how it shows up in the food. And the reckoning with that, I feel like the cultures who live that have already reckoned with it. It's all the rest of us who got to get on board. You know, it's like how fo- folks have been living like that. So, you know, Vivian has this very unique ability and perspective, you know, our audiences, a PBS audience, um, which, you know, a chef's life, you know, I think we had roughly 4 million viewers per episode and of that say, I, I, I would hypothesize that most of it was like older white folks, you know? So Vivian has this ability to show this different version of the South to her people in a way that is inviting. Like, I don't think too many, Voices could have taken on that role. They, honestly, me telling those same stories would not attract the same audience. So, uh, what Vivian has the ability to do through us showing this non-monolithic version of the South that shows, like, yo, Indian folks are here, uh, Indigenous people are here, yeah, black and white are here, but even the white is complicated. Italians are here. Um, you know, the 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 Florida crackers are here. It's insane. <laughs> it's like. Um, Yeah, every time my mind was blown and it just was like just thinking as a team and collectively as about how to how to make sure that we're not stepping on folks toes or like Mm -hmm. if we are stepping on toes is strategic and we're not taking uh, folks stories out of their mouths and making sure everybody gets to tell their own story um, and not being talking heads. uh, You know, that version of storytelling kind of I feel like kind of coalesced in this series.
1: I, I, it's, and it's tricky too, to, to not step on toes and to, to represent people authentically and honestly, right. And tell, tell the stories that have been unheard. Um, but it's tricky down there to, to, to do that. It's, it's, it's almost like a tightrope walk kind of or a balancing act. So I think you guys did a good job. What, what characteristics do you think Vivian has or possesses that makes her able to like bridge those gaps and kind of, you know, create those connections. Did you see anything specifically? Because that's, that's empathy. Right. And that's what storytelling is. It's like, how can I relate to this other person? And like, what, what did she have? How did she, what tools did she use to be able to like get this person to open up and share their story?
0: Right. Well, first she had a team and that like a part of our job as producers. And you know this from your own work. I imagine like our job is to kind of look, find the stories, find the folks, and prepare Vivian to walk into these rooms with respect, and uh, to prepare her, just arm her, if you will, mm-hmm. to be able to use the tools that she inherently has to make a make a engaging exchange. Vivian's a great listener, mm-hmm. and she's she's funny, and she's like uh, self-sacrificing, and mm-hmm. she knows how to step back, which I think is a key tool as a storyteller, you know, you're not always on the mic isn't always pointed towards you. I think the the best storytellers are great listeners and ask the right questions at the right time or know like to let silence just sit for a minute and not like overstep that in order to, you know, make it less awkward. Sometimes that awkward moment is the moment that needs to be created, you know. Um, so just like uh, the ability to recognize that you know, these are the tools that she rolls with as a host and as a storyteller and as a journalist and allowing us to do our job in supporting her in uh, making sure that the stories we tell are told in a way that uh, are told with integrity, basically.
1: Hmm. I just want to plus one the, uh, the bit about the silence, uh, the awkward moment could be the moment. I love that. I mean, it's so true. Uh, and a lot of times I'm leading workshops for people that aren't filmmakers that are trying to create video stories for their, you know, their social media or whatever. That's a tip that I often say is like you got to get comfortable with that because either the awkward silence silence is the moment or after it passes, that person gives you the best line. Right. But that's a hard thing to do because we want to throw them that lifeline. Right. We want to be like, you know, we kind of give, you know, them to the answer. (laughs) um right. so what what would be as a producer for for this show for somewhere south what was your job like w- how would you all find the stories that you knew that you wanted to feature in the episodes
0: mm-hmm. so first of all shout out to victoria and andrea weigel and um our production team uh Un, uh homegirl Un. um so basically it kind of started with Vivian, you know, was ready to wrap a chef's life and brought this idea to the team about wanting to do a show about um, these dishes that are cross culture. Like every, every culture has a porridge, every culture has a hand pie. Mm -hmm. Um, And at first, you know, it kind of started with this kind of big idea that we kind of, you know, whittled down into something that was a little bit more manageable where it was still focused in the South and still uh, used connections that Vivian already had to tell these stories as opposed to just helicoptering into a random place and like not knowing anybody and which is I think what a lot of food shows do. Um, So then our job as producers was to kind of like, we started with a longer list of of, uh, dishes and then we whittled that down. And then based on the stories we could find just through, through research and through people that Vivian knew and people that we knew as our, our own uh, production team. And then we divided those uh, those dishes up amongst the producers and appointed a lead producer for each dish. And um, so then it was the lead producer's job to do uh, the nuts and bolts research, find the actual people that we uh, travel with, and also look outside of North Carolina. We tried also not to visit the same uh, state more than once with the same culture, more than once throughout the, the season. Um, and then we'd all come back together like a big think tank and like kind of uh, walk through the ideas that we've, we'd all come up with and, and just bring them back to the table and then uh, plan to shoot from there.
1: Hmm. What is it about food? Like why is food such like a great, the great connector of people?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, food, music, I I just feel like they, they kind of share a similar space in that it's like one, it's a, it's conversational, you know, mm. uh, just like, you know, the creative differently. I think music and food are their own forms of sustenance, their own forms of communication. Um, if I make this dish for you, I'm saying something about how I care about you. Mm. Um, if I, um, share this song with you. And it, it says something about an, our level of care for each other. And um, to see, you know, how to actually focus on the way these food cultures intersect versus how we're different in this season was really interesting. And actually, you know, kind of made me pivot a bit, you know, just from my own uh, um, Southern Black queer country all these things so i'm constantly focusing on difference (laughs) so it's nice to kind of pivot and look at uh like how these how we are like through these dishes so
1: i think that's a great point and i think that those likenesses are there in in anything more more than we recognize at times because it's just a little bit easier to to see the lines right but if you Mm -hmm. you step back a little bit you can see that it's they're overlapping lines a lot of the time i don't Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great way to a great way to put it. Like and I love how you explored that through you know, every culture has a hand pie, every culture has some version version of this. I think that's really important. What if, through this, through the hook, through Chef's life, like what are some things that you that you've learned that maybe you didn't expect? You kind of alluded to one already, which is like look, I'm I'm understanding it's not so much about the lines or I'm used to seeing differences and this helped me what other What other lessons have you learned about storytelling, about people, about the South? Because all of these projects, you kind of dove deep in, into it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, everybody has a story and every story is valid. Everybody deserves the opportunity to share their story. Um, and quite often, our well, all of the time, our stories are not our own. You know, our stories are part of many other stories that we've collected over time and they weave together, you know, um, generational stories quite often, you know, as a black Southern, um, storyteller, uh, I recognize that quite often I'm, I'm in the position of telling stories that have never had the opportunity to be told like, like legitly, like people were killed and, and maimed and hurt and, you know, for, uh, for speaking out. And, um, so, I don't take lightly this this platform and this privilege I have to be able to share stories of people who are quite often underrepresented or whose stories are unsung. So um, learning, learning the value of that and learning that uh, and you know, it's probably about aging too and getting wiser. I hope <laughs> it's just like, you know, you don't take stuff like that for granted and you take care of what people's stories, mm. especially if they trust you to deliver them to a wider audience.
1: I was going to ask, uh, that's, that's, that seems like it could be kind of heavy. Like, does that, does that feel like maybe burden is not the right word, but do you ever feel like that's a little too heavy of a thing for you to carry when you're having to represent a group of people who typically haven't been represented? Or do you see that as like, no, I've got a platform and it's kind of like my responsibility to, to tell those stories.
0: Mm-hmm. I have a role. I, I think, um, uh... You know, first of all, I try not to represent myself as the voice for, you know, a body of people. I have this ability and this vantage to tell this, this version of this story. Like I think about Miss Lily a lot, you know, from a chef's life. Anybody who knows a chef's life knows Miss Lily and her personality. Um, So I I think about like who she represents in the, in the, in the realm of storytelling Mm -hmm. Um, and and a particular uh, black voice that quite often is stereotyped and never recognized for the knowledge that she bears. Like as a home cook, as a woman who's, um, has a relationship with the land and, uh, learned from her parents, her mama, how to make these different dishes. We don't celebrate that form of knowledge as like, um, we don't call that intellect. That's not the term we use for that. So by, uh, just giving miss lily the opportunity of creating space for her to share those stories we change the perspective of what knowledge means mm. and you know you can't there's 2011 miss lily's out there but here's one version of of this this story that you know hopefully will help shift uh, the importance of this this uh legacy of um that miss miss lily represents in the south so yeah. You can't tell them, you can't speak for everybody, but you can just show different voices, that hopefully help shift the larger understanding of, of a people.
1: Yeah. I love that. It seems so. It sounds like you're saying it's not your job necessary to tell their story, but to make space for them to, to share their own story. Like as Absolutely. a filmmaker, yeah. As a filmmaker, you're providing that. And it, it ties right back to what you said about Vivian is like, She's a good listener, like she 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 doesn't make it about her. She goes and makes the space and she's got a platform. She's fortunate enough to have a platform, but she makes a space for them to share their own story. I love that and because you're, you're yeah
0: like, it wouldn't be interesting to hear like Vivian telling uh Johnny's story from Jolly Farm, who's a Burmese refugee. like why is that interesting? What's <laughs> interesting is Vivian uh listening as Johnny shares his own story and makes food from his culture. I mean. You know, hmm. nobody, nobody digs talking heads, you know, no. folks have the ability to share their own stories, So just allowing folks to do that.
1: Absolutely. Um. So what's next? Like, what do you, what kind of stories are you focused on or burning inside of you that you want, you want to tell you guys have done some great work in the food space. Um, You know, where, where do you want to take this from, from here?
0: Well, thinking about that a lot, you know, uh, I guess like everybody trying to, figure out, I, well, I think this time of, uh, you know, being, you know, sheltered in place has given me a lot of time to reflect and think on that. I've been working on a, a new record for like the past year and actually closer to two years. So trying to wrap that up and get that out and, you know, get back to the music space. Cause I miss it. Yeah. Um, and then considering, you know, moving forward, like uh, what stories are, are pulling on my heartstring and and, uh, like right now we're taking a respite from somewhere south because it just finished airing uh, this past Friday. And we've been really active on social media, talking to fans. And, you know, I think that's one of the coolest things we do is like interact, post every episode um, with uh, folks who, who dig the the series. So we're doing a live chat with Vivian a little later today on uh, Instagram. Um, So yeah, just kind of taking a moment to reflect, enjoy the sunshine. Um, I live in Forest Hill, so taking tons of walks and chilling, listening to my little uh, boom box in the backyard when I can.
1: (laughs) Let me ask you a question, because a lot of the people that that I serve and that I help in my audience are kind of beginners, you know, in their storytelling journeys, we'll say. And we're in this great place that you know, anybody can put together a decent video story or a documentary, if you will, or, you know, or share their stories through imagery, right? Through mm-hmm. through, through video. And I think that's great because, you know, talking about those voices that aren't typically heard, we, we, there are more opportunities for people that aren't just like you and I, or that have a team behind them to put those stories out there, right? Yeah. So, So what would your advice be to somebody who's like, it could be their aunt or their uncle or grandparent or just someone that they know if if they, if they don't have a marquee media behind them or a team behind them and they're not professional filmmakers, what, what would you suggest to them is like the best way to capture and tell stories if they're trying to tell them before, you know, before maybe a grandparent passes away or just, you know, to capture these stories because now we're in a position where everybody can, right. We've all got a smartphone and can access a zoom audio recorder or just, you know, a little, phone lavalier mic or something like what do you suggest to somebody who's just like i want to tell stories of people that you know like you all do on a on a larger scale
0: right yeah first of all I suggest just do it you know don't don't look back and regret that you didn't do it you know Mm. um these stories are endangered especially you know as, as as folks you know get older and you know time time marches on you know whether we actually actively do it or just think about doing it is a is really about intention and actualizing intention um yeah you have you have a phone it's easy to like just like if you have an idea or have a memory that you're struggling with like just call up grandma or aunt and and just be like yo I remember this one time we were down at White Lake and you know (laughs) I did that for you. (laughs) And just like, yeah, I'm about to record. So can you tell me about that time? And just boom, hit record and make it conversational. Cause I think one of the best aspects of storytelling is hearing people tell stories in their voice and, Mm. you know, not trying to clean it up for uh, whatever medium, but just hearing the colloquialism Mm. and being able to listen back and hear uh, the anecdotes of people's personalities that you, that you love. Cause I think that's part of storytelling is collecting like the holistic memory as well. So, hmm. so do it. Yeah, man.
1: Oh, cool. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I think, I think we covered a lot of ground and, and I, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of, of you and your whole team and the stuff that you're doing because You know, I'm I'm all for anybody that's telling these heartfelt, real, authentic stories like you were just kind of getting getting at. And since you all were able to put it, like I said, on a national stage, um, that's something to really be proud of. So I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and I know that you all were busy getting the season out. But I'm so glad you stopped by. It was good to to connect with you, and and hopefully I can see you in person when the world flips right side up again.
0: Yeah, Uh, I'm into it. Yeah, so funny. Like, thank thank you for that memory. Like, it's so funny that. We were basically neighbors. We literally
1: were. That's a, literally, yeah, true, true. So so I lived there. I lived there for a little while with Adam. Adam moved out and I stayed there. And then in like 2007, which was the worst time in the world, uh, Bud was going to sell it. And I just, I, I shouldn't even have gotten the loan. You know, I was young and got one of those terrible loans they gave out, which is why the housing market crashed, (laughs) but but I was able to like keep it and stay in there. And and I lived there. I moved to New York and for a few years and came back, but I rented it out. And and now my wife and I live in Durham, but I still have it. I was just there yesterday and uh, I remodeled that I remodeled that little apartment, uh, recently, but it's, uh, I thought it was your sister. That's so it's
0: still an apartment and, a, and it's still two apartments. So yeah, it's you still like, it
1: the, no, it's still the, the, the main part of the house in the little apartment because I was living in the main part and then I had someone renting renting out the, the small apartment. And then, um, then when I left altogether, I rented out, I rented it out on Airbnb right now. There's a lot of like, um, travel nurses staying there you know they're they're like UNC yeah. or duke for like three months or a month or something like that no. um but yeah i still got that house i, I it's looking a lot Amazing. better than it did but <laughs>
0: that's just yeah yeah i mean i it's funny i just remember waking up seeing deer like right by my car Big, yeah <laughs> like yeah, and Enjoyed there. It there. <laughs> but
1: it's a trip because like when you left i think well right around that time they were making it into a four-lane highway and now right. i don't know if you've been down there recently but it's yeah. just like there's all these huge communities and shopping centers and yeah. yeah
0: yes not as cool as it was <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> all right well i appreciate it have a great day and uh we'll you see too. you i soon.
0: appreciate you keep me informed of, of when this is popping
1: off and yeah i'll send it to you probably um if not this next week the one or two after and we'll send you um uh we'll send you the link but we also make a lot of like you know promo videos and little teasers i'll just tag you in on instagram and stuff and you know share them if if you got them but have fun at the um at the little event that you all are doing tonight Word. uh you know hang in there hopefully we can get back in production soon
0: Yeah, you too, man. Wishing you the best. All right. All right.
1: Peace. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.